Hey friends, I know I'm biased, but I think I have the very best guests on this podcast. Today is no exception. Elizabeth Hagen is back. She was on the podcast a couple years ago, but today we're talking about her brand new book, which is called Brave Church, tackling tough topics together. And Brave Church helps congregations talk about controversial topics with sensitivity to those who see the world and have experienced life differently from themselves. Uh, it guides readers to think through how they can foster conversations about such challenging topics as infertility, miscarriage, mental health, domestic violence, racism, and sexuality. I loved my conversation with Lisbeth. It was so engaging. I hope you will too. And then I hope you'll buy her book, Brave Church. Enjoy. Folks, welcome to This Good Word. I'm here with Elizabeth Hagen. Hi, Elizabeth. Hey, Steve. How are you? I am so good. It's so good to have you back on the show. Last time we were trying to figure out, I think it was about two years ago, and we talked about infertility and something that we both have a lot of experience with. Of course, me from a male perspective, but very engaged in it. And that was such a good conversation. Uh, and so I'm going to link that conversation to the show notes. So in case any current listeners are dealing with infertility, we're not really going to talk about that this time. I don't think. Never <laughs> unless know. it comes up. <laughs> um, but you just released a fantastic book that I got to read beforehand and even got to endorse, which was my joy to endorse, called Brave Church. And I think uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this today because I think uh, every conversation I have with people that are pastors and are thinking about the church, I say something like, or I hear something like, we are just in uncharted territories and there are so many things that we need to talk about as a church and don't feel very equipped to talk mm. about, right? So right. what... What were some of the things that got you realizing internally that you needed to write this book? Why? Why? It's such a broad question. I yeah, guess, yeah. Yes, but, but, you know, there must be some things that you have in your mind that you say, yep, th I, I, I got to write this. Well, I think the idea from this book really is embedded in my own life and my life yep. story. I grew up in the church. I was um, a church kid through and through, involved in all the things. And so I was a pastor's kid as well and got to observe the inner, inner belly of how the church works and what people do and say. And I just remember as a kid observing, there were things that happened. We were really good at theology. We were really good at like learn the Bible verses Here's a little known fact. I was a Bible drill champion. Yes, yes. It's a very Southern Baptist thing, but in like Did the you have to hold century. your Bible up in the oh, air? Oh yeah, like attention, like, you know. present swords. Yeah. Yep, and then you'd yep. have to memorize so many verses. Of course you couldn't have tabs. I mean, that's something that no one even knows what it is anymore. No, but it's like yeah. I mean, even to this day, I'm like, if I'm in a pulpit and I'm like flipping through the Bible, it comes back. <laughs> Psalms, yes, Proverbs, yes, Ecclesiastes. Yes, anyway, yes. so I mean, we were really, I really got so much great Christian education um, from a theological place. But what I didn't get growing up and what always confused me was social situations that happened. Like, for example, someone went to prison. And we just didn't talk about it. Right. Or someone in the youth group had an eating disorder 
and they just disappeared for a while. Right. Or someone's mother was just never around and we didn't talk about mental illness. I mean, what was that? Right. And so I have always been a person that's kind of leaned more toward let's, let's not pretend <laughs> let's yeah. really talk. And I was just always perplexed as to why the culture I grew up in just seemed to want to create a church vision that was kind of, it was pretty on the outside, but yeah. it wasn't, it didn't have the internal substance of like, this is my real life and I'm struggling. And so I think that's something I've carried with me for a long time. But I think the other thing that, that led me to, you know, start getting out the computer and writing a book proposal and what became Brave Church was actually my last book that you talked about, because it was on, um, you know, a taboo topic or a topic yeah. that people don't talk about a lot in infertility. So, you know, because you publish books, what do you do when you publish a book? You speak about it and you go to churches. And, and I had several experiences where pastors... Now, these were people I knew, and you generally kind of expect more, right, sometimes of people that you know. And and I said, here, I'm, I'm going to talk about infertility. And they're like, no, you can't talk about that. And I'm like, why can't you talk about that? And, well, you know, it's just such a personal topic, or that's just for the young people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not mm -hmm. something that, that the whole church needs to address. And so I had to create some sort of mentality um, workshop or something to get my foot into the door of churches to speak. And so I started doing these general grief workshops where hmm. I would talk about griefs that we don't name in church, which is basically everything besides death, right? Like we're really right. good at death in the church and right. the casseroles. Right. And the casseroles. Uh, right? Like church food isn't it the best yeah. funeral food, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but we're not good at all the other things. And so I was just sitting in these sessions at conferences and and other places hearing people talk about their unnamed grief. And I realized that there is not just infertility that we don't know how to talk about in the church, but mm. it's so much more. And I thought there has to be a way <laughs> there has to be um, an, another avenue to reformulate how we do church so that people feel like they don't have to hide part of themselves when they're yep. in a community. Yeah. I think that's so important. And of course, I noticed the same things growing up in, I think, similar churches than than you. And even, you know, one of the things I even noticed still is like when, when a pastor resigns or, you know, mm -hmm. when someone leaves staff, there's always, you know, even if it's totally above board and no murky things, they, 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 like there's never any, you know, transparency around any mm -hmm. of that stuff, you know, and of course, there's privacy for people. But um, but I've really, I've really recognized that as well. So like what, I know there's not a framework, but like, what are the concepts that you work through in brave church where you say, you know, even like, if you're going to start having tough conversations, good conversations, transparent conversations, you're going to need to start building X, Y, and Z, you know? Well, I wrote brave church as a, a guide for um, small groups to begin to do, oh, yeah. because I think that it's, um, you can do it on a large scale. Of course, there's ways I believe that leaders really are responsible for how yeah. brave the church is. And it starts yeah. with us, right? Like how open we are about our lives, but brave church is written for a small group in mind, um, to be able to take some dedicated time, several, um, weeks or months together 
and say, we're going to set aside this space as different than just mm -hmm. our normal time together. And we're going to establish this space with some guidelines, a, a covenant of how we're going to be together. Now, I know I'm getting into the territory of, you know, small group 101 that all our, so many of our churches do where you say, we're going to have a small group. We're going to hold confidentiality. We're, mm -hmm. we're going to commit to, to support one another. But this is different in the sense that um, the brave space rules that I began talking about at the beginning of the book um, set aside a different kind of space where we're not doing things like, for example, agreeing to, get, to disagree. <laughs> Um, that we're holding everyone's um, opinions and experiences um, together. Or we're not just um, saying, well, don't take things so personally, which is something that we often like to say. But right. we're realizing that respect for you looks different um, for respect for me. And yeah. we have to be mindful of people's feelings. So the idea of this Brave Space Rules and Brave Space Covenant came out of some research that I read a study that happened at New York University where some college educators were discovering that in their social justice education, particularly around racism, what they found is that the students were just kind of talking at each other and mm -hmm. nothing was happening. No change was happening. And what they um, created was a framework that helped the students not just say, okay, I believe this, so I'm going to sit over here, or I believe mm -hmm. that I'm going to sit over here. But what if we held together who you are and who I am, and we had a way where we could both be heard and we could both um, have our experiences be lifted up? What would that look like? And so when I encountered this research, I, my light bulbs in my head went off as far as the church. I was like, wouldn't this be amazing if this mm -hmm. could be applied with some faith language and a faith context? And what if we could find a way to create some spaces in our church that made them more brave? And actually what I did, you know, you think, well, that sounds nice, but would that actually work? <laughs> I've piloted it's a good question. Right? Like, <laughs> cool, you know, like people can create all kinds of nice articles all they want. But so I took this and as I was writing it, I piloted it at my own church. And we, I don't know what your church is like, but in my my setting um where I was, the summer is a small crowd. So I basically turned the whole church into my yeah. small group for the summer. And we did it. We said, okay, we're gonna be brave for the next seven weeks. And it was really cool to see this intentionality really shape our conversations and to see how just in mentioning things like domestic violence or racism for the first time for some of them, hearing it come out of a pastor's mouth, which is, that's a whole other story. Right. How much oh, yeah. that saddens me, but how much it began to change our community life. Like, you know, in ways that may seem small, but to me were huge. Like our prayer request time changed from, you know, praying for Sally's great aunt who had cancer, which, you know, we, yeah. of course we need to pray for that. Mm -hmm. But people were beginning to talk about, you know, their community members who they knew had children who were contemplating suicide. Or wow. we, after going through the domestic violence chapter, we had people in our church talking about their own experience of domestic violence. Like that nobody had ever heard. Like these were people that had been around for a yeah, long forever. time. And they were like, yeah, this happened. And we were all just sitting there with our jaws dropped. But And they were the ones that helped us plan our very first domestic violence awareness month. So 
I don't know. I just was so impressed with just beginning the conversation and setting it up in an intentional way, how it really shaped our community in some powerful ways. And I thought other people need to know about this because um, if there ever was a moment, right, like we're at a crossroads in the church and in America with so much division and so much not talking about things that really matter and so many conversations, especially racism, um, where if we don't start talking about it, the church is going to be left behind in complete irrelevance, you know, and, um, yeah. and people are suffering, you know, because each of the experiences I write about in Brave Church about mental health and domestic violence and sexuality and racism and infertility, these are all experiences where people have experienced mm-hmm. suffering. And trauma. Trauma. Yeah, trauma. And, yeah. and you know, if, if to say we're not going to talk about these things, it's to say we don't want your whole self or God doesn't love that part of you. But I believe that God deeply cares about all these parts of us and our stories. And if we don't welcome space for them in church, then we're really not talking about the fullness of who God is. And yes, and uh, I, I want to talk about God who loves me in spite of the fact that there are some parts of my life that are full of trauma and pain. And um, I think that's the message that the church, <laughs> um, the church needs to give the world. Um, and so it's, yeah. it's not just about, to me, political issues, you know, trying to be more relevant or hip <laughs> with our curriculum. It's really about real people and their pain and, and how we can make them feel more included. Well, I agree. And I, I think to assume that there is this kind of talking about God and talking about theology and talking about the Bible without diving into the traumas, the sufferings, the real goings on of our lives is to totally miss an incarnational view of, of whatever the gospel is, you know, <laughs> like we, yeah. we have, like, we, what are we doing if, if we're not diving into those things? And I, I just think it's a bit of a straw man argument to throw out, well, let's not get political in the church or, well, let's not talk about, you know, you're just doing that to, to, to be trendy. Listen, as pastors, any pastor knows that, you know, especially pastors in white churches, if we start talking about white supremacy and racism, we don't get a lot of points for that in, in most of our, most of our structures. People say we want to talk about it, but then when it gets uncomfortable, you know, it gets uncomfortable. So I, I, I want to ask, like, it seems like your experience in your church is not that people got turned off and uncomfortable. It's like, it sounds like it's what people wanted Yeah, uh, it, to it, really go there. Is that true? Yeah, it, it was. I mean, I mean, yes and no. I mean, yes. It, well, fear it, and trepidation probably, right? Like right? It's really exciting. Um, but it is uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. I, I would not be telling the truth if I said this work is just roses and sunshine, you know, it, it comes with discomfort. It comes with people saying, you know, stories about their own life that, oh goodness, you know, that sometimes we'd rather not hear because they personally help us reflect on things about ourselves that we find difficult. But yes, I mean, they, my congregation was really supportive and like, telling their friend, you can't believe what we talked about at church on Sunday, you know, I mean, um, it's, I'm, I'm was really, they're, they're a brave church (laughs) and, and I know that there's so many other brave churches out there or want to be brave churches that just need that push that start to, to, um, 
begin these conversations. So I know there's probably a lot of ways to be a brave church, but how would you define that? How do you define that? A brave church is dot, dot, dot. Well, that is a really big question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just... too big. But just start somewhere. You, well, you know I, I mean? think a brave church is willing to take risk. I think a brave church is willing to tell the truth. And I think yeah. a brave church is willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. And vulnerability is scary. And yeah. I think, especially for us as leaders, it's even more scary because especially when our, you know, livelihood is tied, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I get paid to do this job. And if they yeah. don't like what I said on Sunday, I may not have a job on Monday, you know, like it's yep. really scary. And I see so many of my colleagues, like I've had so many conversations recently with pastors about this book and I've had some even say me, say to me, well, I'm just not, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that might be too much for us. Mm -hmm. Um, and it goes back to what one of my early readers of the book told me, who was helping correct my bad spelling and all those things. <laughs> great person you need in your life when you're writing yeah. something. Yeah, and she sure. said to me, you know, I really appreciate this, this book, but you know what? My church is not even safe, so I don't even know how I could be brave. Wow. And I think to not speak to that reality <laughs> is is unfair because there are so many churches in america that aren't safe for yeah so many groups of people and so i i think about this book as a tool for churches that want to be more brave but also think about it as a tool of potential reconciliation for someone who hasn't hurt by the church and doesn't know how to start that conversation for someone to be able to take this book to their pastor and say you know i really you don't know this about me, but my, yeah, you know, yeah. I've struggled with this and I felt left out because of how you make fun of these types of people or how you yeah. discredit therapy in the pulpit or whatever the mm -hmm, case may be mm -hmm. um, as a way for someone to get that validation or to at least educate a larger community on what it's like to be them, um, to give yeah. voice to their pain. So, you know, it's interesting our church here in Minneapolis, my church, the church that I lead is quite progressive and most people are post evangelical, blah, blah, blah. But I had a, a, a couple, I love this couple and I'm pretty close to them. And they met with me over a couple of different times and said, everyone talks about Genesis being a safe place. We don't experience it as safe because we're Republicans. Mm. And listen, they are, and I'm, I'm going to be very careful even how I say this, like they, I love them and I love how they think and they are um, amazing, faithful followers of Jesus. And it was a really good wake up call for me and for some to say, you know, let's make sure that we are exploring all the different ways to be safe, you know, because yeah. I think we were probably automatically pretty safe for anyone deconstructing or for anyone that's kind of pissed off mm -hmm. <laughs> about the injustice of the world, but maybe not so much for, you know, folks who 
are in the minority politically, you know, mm. and they weren't, they aren't even, you know, real vocal about that. It's not that, you know, and they weren't asking for, Hey, more representation from, from the pulpit around things that I care about. It was more like, I don't even feel like I could bring it up around, mm. you know, and that's a problem. And so I, you know, so I just think that this wake up call. Yeah. For that's us. a really powerful for me. story. And I know that that's the case. I mean, not just your church, but so many progressive. Ch- I mean, I've had that happen, you know, mm-hmm. in my congregations where, you know, we're all in our la la land of, yep. you know, yep. open mindedness. And then someone comes yep. and says, I love Jesus too, but I don't believe in this. And would you yeah. please stop talking about that so much? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, or stop I mean, assuming everyone thinks exactly that way. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, yeah. I think churches by nature were designed to be, quote, safe spaces. <laughs> Um, yeah. from the early church on places where people had the same belief system, same goals, same worldview. I think safety in many cases in congregation is an illusion and maybe not always possible, mm-hmm. but I do think bravery is because in bravery, we learn powerfully from each other. And I mean, I don't know about you, but in the most I don't know, empowering relationships in my own personal life. They have, they are those where I've, we've had moments um, with each other where I felt like I'm, I'm disagreeing with them or they're calling me out on something. And yet somehow we can say those things and we can work through them. But I, I, I walk away from that situation and I feel even more close to them and known by them and heard by them. Right. Yes. Right. And it's so beautiful. And then they're still in my life, even though I said that mean thing, <laughs> you know, like, isn't that amazing? Okay. So Elizabeth, can I, I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I really do want to drill down on that because before you said what we're not talking about is agreeing to disagree mm-hmm. or, you know, cause that just feels um, less than, mm-hmm. and we're also not talking about um, everyone has to just compromise what they think or what they feel or what they believe. We're talking about having robust dialogue. What are some of the ways that you've found that people can get there, you know, to really disagree, but honor each other? Like you were just talking about, like how, like, how do you help people start to build that trust? Well, I think it has a lot to do with, um, humanizing the conversation because I think we get so stuck on the issues like you're on this team and I'm on that team, but to actually hear the stories as to why someone falls where they do. And sometimes, you know, people have belief systems that are based on ignorance or just lack of experience or lack of exposure. And, you know, there's multiple times in the book where I try to humanize um, a person who's had this experience. Like you can be against LBGTQ people. Okay. That's your right if you want, but like be in the shoes of someone who has had this experience and who has felt rejection by the church or their family or has not felt welcome. And I, I, I say that not to change your mind, but just to to have a, a more connected relationship with mm-hmm. them. And and I don't, you know, like as people of faith, as Christians, when we see someone in pain, when we see suffering, I mean, I think God calls us to move toward that and to, to open our hearts to love. And I think the discussions less become about like, okay, these are my five points about what I will not compromise on. And more like, I really love <laughs> this person. I really yes. love them. And, you know, they may never do this, but 
I'm going to honor them and hear them and respect them and figure out what respect for them means. Because even if I feel like I'm respecting them, they may not feel the same way. Right. So like taking the time to sort of check in from time to time, even yeah. when you're having maybe a heated conversation, Hey, can we, you know, can we pause for a second? How am I coming across? Are you feeling hurt? Right. Am I hearing what you're saying? Would you like to add anything? Right. You I know? had a, a church member who like once got up in arms about the pronoun, um, about using pronouns, Yeah. you know, saying, why do we have to do that? Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then yeah, we had yeah. a, a church member talk about, you know, their, their gender identity and how important it was and what it meant to them and how they felt when someone refused to use pronouns and, 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 you know, you could just see the shift go on in this yep. man's mind, like, okay, like, you know, in theory, I don't like that, but I don't want to be mean to you, you know, and, yes. and, and I want to understand why that's important to you. Okay, yeah. I will, I will be bad at this. And I'm probably going to mess up for a little while until I get used to it. But I want to try because I love you, you know, and I'm glad that you're here. And I want you to feel welcome in this. What session. a profound moment. What a cool and what a vulnerable thing for especially the person struggling with um um i mean honestly like it maybe it sounds ignorant or blurty to something to say ah, why do we have to do this but that opened up you know the good conversation and then for someone to say well it's important to me because i have pain in this area what a vulnerable thing it's just you know creating an environment for vulnerability is risky but the rewards are so rich like they you are. just said. I mean those are the those are the people I want in my life forever, you know? The people that are yeah. going to go there with me and um and show me when I have bias and when I'm 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 making mistakes and and that are willing to hear when I feel hurt. Um mm -hmm. yeah. And that's to me that kind of community is brave. Um yeah. you know, you can have good community mm -hmm. and it not be brave. I mean, but I think yeah. brave is better. <laughs> brave um, is better. Yeah. And brave has very, beautiful benefits of, of all those things that we want in life, like, you know, belonging and, and community and being seen and heard. You know, this, Elizabeth, this dates me a little bit. I'm 50. Um, so I grew up and I've been a pastor for 25, 20, almost 26 years now. And I remember being very you know, influenced in the early 90s about the, you know, it's like the growth church, the seeker church, the driven church, the, you know, and I'm very, and all, all that stuff just tastes like ashes in my mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the brave church to me is very compelling for such a time as this. You know, I, I mentioned I live in Minneapolis and it has been a, an absolute train wreck, dumpster fire, shit show, whatever you want to call it for a long time. And good things are being unearthed and revealed. And it requires a tremendous level of compassion and vulnerability to stay in these conversations, you know, and to get back out on the streets and to listen longer than you want to listen and all that stuff. So I, I just think, um, for such a time as this, this kind of book is, of course, good for small groups, but I feel like it's good for pastors too to just read as a primer, you know, for yeah. how to create more safe space. Um, what are some of your hopes and dreams for 
the church in the next few years? You know, I was going to say 10 years, but I can't even imagine 10 years, you know, but in the next few years, what do you, where do you hope the church big C goes? Well, I, I hope that we become less tied to our structures or familiarity or culture uh, that we begin to, and continue to make room for the spirit to lead us in uncharted waters. Um, and I say that knowing, I don't know what that means, but I do know that when we're at that point where we know what is the next step, we will know what to do. You know, I, I think of the scripture talks about, you know, the, the voice saying, this is the way walk in it, you know, and that's yeah, been true yeah. in my life. You know, I, I'm the church geek who went down the aisle when I got married to the hymn, He Leadeth Me, because to me, yes. that was, I'm so geeky, I know. But for me, it, it was like, this. that was like a spiritual moment. Like, you need to marry Kevin. That's my husband. Um, th this is your this is your moment. Um, and I, I've experienced that in other parts of my life, you know, like, this is the time. This is what you need to do. And and I think that that gift of, of spiritual discernment, not that we always get it right, but that you know, the spirit is leading us. And I think this um, racial reckoning that we're going through in our country right now that you're you're leading the way on in Minneapolis, teaching us how to be in the tension. I think it has so much to teach the American church. And I really hope that we don't let this moment pass us by <laughs> of yeah. what the spirit is trying to um, rebuild in each of our congregations and our hearts to really see our black and brown brothers and sisters in a way that that gives them their full humanity and does not ignore um, who they are and what their daily struggles are in this country because of institutional racism. Exactly. Amen. And I'll say too, Elizabeth, like in the last two years, well, in the last year after George Floyd was murdered and just recently Dante Wright. Um, and as I've gone to protests, the most, some of the most powerful moments have been when I have been as a white clergy underneath the leadership and direction of black and brown clergy, whether marching or listening to preaching. I, I've just, that's when my spirit has felt like this is where we need to be, you know, and people talk about decentering whiteness and we get nervous about that or we get uncomfortable, but in my experiences and they've been narrow, of where I have been out of the center of, you know, the voice of the conversation. That's when I've felt the most hopeful, the most free. And I don't say that to say like, I've got it all figured at all. Oh my gosh, I'm not. I'm just saying I've like stumbled into these situations where I, that's when I feel hope. And that's when I feel like the voice of God is speaking. And so, you know, there's a tremendous freedom that comes with the courage to sort of confront those systems. And I'm just starting at that journey. I feel like as a, you know, I'm, I'm late, I'm late to the journey, but and it is uncomfortable, but it, it's, it feels hopeful too, you know? Yeah. Um, I just, sorry, I went on a rant. No, <laughs> no, no. I this mean, is your interview. No, no, no. Um, it's perfect for this time. And, uh, I've, you know, I've known about you and your, your ministry in Minneapolis. I've thought of you so many times during all of this and, and what, a burden all the clergy have been carrying as you've been leading people through this time. And um, I'm so glad to hear more of your journey and how you're, you're leaning into it. And, you know, we, we all have to keep leaning into it in our unique communities and, and finding out what brave looks like for us. Um, and, yeah. you know, 
it's it's a waste of our time, Steve, to do so much. It is totally a waste of our time. <laughs> but bravery is always worth our time. Oh, I mean, yes. it always is worth our time because it reaps such beautiful, beautiful treasures of of relationships that are able to stand the test of time, relationships that teach us and mold us and make us better. And, and, and communities that are not just some trendy, we're thriving, but really are like deep in our hearts, you know, like uh, beautiful things happen when we're brave. And um, I know that I'm not always brave. (laughs) There's no, I don't always listen to the, the, to the inclinations of the spirit that, that tell me to move or to act or to be quiet, (laughs) whatever it may be. But I do know when I do listen, it, it, it it shapes me and forms me um, in ways that I'm never, never sad about. Um, and I, I, I just, I just pray that brave church can be a tool just to begin conversations. Um, because Mm -hmm. I think that spark, I think once you've tasted it, um, and you, you grow in relationship with people that maybe you've been going to church with for years and then you realize, oh my goodness, they're struggling with racism every day (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, their their child has schizophrenia and it's caused them deep pain for all these years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. level of compassion and, and honesty you're able to to commune with them on, oh, it's it's amazing. But Oh, it is. And I'm you know, you've alluded to mental illness several times in this conversation and and I feel like that is the it's like it's not the final frontier of the church, but that's still like I feel like the church is starting to reckon with sexuality in terms of inclusion and maybe racism and white supremacy, maybe, you know, certainly sexism, maybe, but mental illness. I feel like that's still the, the, the giant in the closet that we're just not talking about. Um, I have to tell you the statistic um, that's in the book just because it sobers me every time I say it about mental illness, which is I, um, I studied this life way. Lifeway study. Now, Lifeway is like Southern Baptist. So this is like conservative yep. land. So, that, you yep, know, yep. I'm not, <laughs> they did a study a couple of years ago about pastors and talking about mental illness. And they said, I believe it was that 94% of pastors um, knew someone in their church was dealing with mental illness, but only 12% of them said they'd ever spoken about mental illness publicly in a sermon or otherwise. Yep. Yep. And yep. I remember when I read that, it was like my mouth just dropped and I stared at the page for a really long time. Um, because when you see it like that, it's, it's like this huge gap of things, people are in pain and we just, mm-hmm. we have so much shame around that topic that we just don't talk about it. So. I think, I think we're so frightened of more than most things. We're frightened of mental illness. And, you know, I remember now, of course, mental illness is a huge spectrum of, we're talking about depression, anxiety, and bipolar and, you know, any, any number of things that are very, very different. But, um, you know, I remember when I was a young pastor and this isn't, I guess this isn't really mental illness, but it, it falls in the same category. There was a person in our church who had epilepsy and had violent seizures on many Sundays, you know, Mm. screaming and stuff. And I remember, um, it just got scary, you know, like it, it, it felt like, uncontrollable chaos, you know, and we got to do something about this, you know, versus, okay, this is a beloved daughter in our community. How can we make space? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's, we're frightened. I think we're so frightened. 
um, and don't know what to do and don't know how to fix it and don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Whew. Yeah. That's, we could talk about that all day, I'm sure. But yeah, well, I, I wasn't even going to bring it up cause it's like at the end of the interview, but I, I feel like I I'm appreciative of you and that you, you, you do, you do talk about it in this interview and in the book as well. So thank you for that. Um, so Elizabeth, the book is out brave church. I assume people can get it wherever they want to buy books. Um, do you, do you have a favorite place that you're pointing people toward to get a hold of the book and, or the rest of your work? Well, um, if you go to elizabethhagen.com um, slash brave church, you can find all kinds of information about brave church. And um, I have a free quiz on my website about uh, for you, for folks to take about how brave their church is. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> to see um, see where they land on the spectrum and be kind of fun um, as a way to start the conversation in your community, maybe to figure out if Brave Church cool. is good for you. That's awesome. And by the way, I'll put this on the show notes, everybody, and just in the episode notes, but it's Hagen is two A's, H-A-G-A-N, Elizabeth Hagen. Yeah, with an correct? A, not an E. There you go. Right, A, not an E, two A's. <laughs> uh, A-G-A-N. Um Awesome. Well, Elizabeth, this was delightful as I knew it would be. Uh, you are just very interesting to be with, but also helpful in terms of, for me as a pastor, I have felt encouraged by, and of course, when I read the book, I loved it, but just talking to you, it reminds me what a gift you are uh, to the world. So I hope people get this book. I hope people enter conversations and have it as a, as a heart goal or a soul aspiration to be brave. Yeah. I love that. That cuts across every demographic, you know, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic level, every age, every gender, every, it's just to be brave. Yeah. That's, that's the invitation. And I'm yeah. also looking for congregations this fall. I know it's a time when people really, you know, have more plans in terms of curriculum and so forth, where they set aside certain plans. I'm looking for some launch churches who would willing, willing to oh, cool. be some of my, um, my brave churches <laughs> that agree to do this study with me. And I'm happy to be a on, um, on site or, um, on present resource for them. But um, if that's something that interests you or your community, feel free to get in touch with me. I'd love to tell you more about being on my Brave Church launch group. Cool. So if you're a community member or a pastor, lay, clergy, whatever, and you are sparked, get in touch with Elizabeth, elizabethhagen.com, or just click in the show notes, click in the episode notes, and um, we will get you in touch. Uh, thanks, Elizabeth. Thank this so was much. awesome. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook. Uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together. <laughs>